0: Today's reading is taken from Genesis chapter six, verse thirteen and verse seven, and and chapter um, seven and nine. So God said to Noah, "I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of sacred wood." Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The arc is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Make a room for it, leaving below the roof and opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the arc and make lower, middle and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons, and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature that I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord, had com- that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters came on the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and clean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah.
1: Thank you very much for reading that passage. Uh, It's great to be back here again uh, this week. Uh, For you guys this may be a place of work. For me I feel very much a tourist when I come into these fascinating um, and historic buildings. It's a real privilege to be with you today. And do please keep that passage um, in front of you as we take a look at it together. Um, Isn't it amazing in this day and age that the concept of religious faith still exists? Don't you find that odd? For all the advances in human knowledge and discovery and wisdom, the way we understand uh, the world and life, isn't it odd that there are still those who say they have a faith in God? Surely, there's no longer space for faith uh, in life. Richard Dawkins famously described faith as the great cop-out, uh, the uh, uh, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. He says it, he's saying it's lazy, it's a sloppy attitude. You use faith to fill the gaps that you ought to fill with careful thought and intellect. He says faith is belief in spite of the lack of evidence. There's a sense in which I agree with Richard Dawkins. Now you may be surprised to hear that today if faith is this thing which fills the gaps that I ought, that I ought to be filling with careful thought. well then it is a cop-out. It is lazy. But if Richard Dawkins were to examine the life of Noah, as we uh, have the chance to do now, he would learn that he has completely misunderstood what Christians mean when they talk about faith. Now this is our second lunchtime looking at this well-known story. Last week we focused on what this story has to teach us about the world. We saw how bleak it is actually. How scary and gritty uh, this story is as we see the loving God of the Bible declaring that the earth is rotten to the core, saying that he will destroy the earth, he will wipe out mankind. Today I want to focus on Noah, the man, and for us to look together at what it is the Bible celebrates about this man. Because Noah is mentioned quite a few times in the New Testament uh, as an example, these words from the letter to the Hebrews, uh, which tell us what we're supposed to admire in him. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, as you may know, has a a long list of the heroes of the faith, these men of old, who are held out to us as great examples of faith. And so Noah is, first and foremost, an example of what it is to have faith and to live by it. And so I want us, for a few minutes now, to study that example and get a better grasp for ourselves of what it means to have faith today. The first thing we need to see is what we began thinking about last week, which is, in a sense, the backdrop for Noah's faith, which is that God says some hard things to Noah. God says some hard things to Noah. To us, I guess the story is very familiar, isn't it? God's message to Noah comes as no surprise. But just imagine for a moment, put yourself in his shoes as being the first person ever to hear this declaration from God. I suspect Noah knew there were problems in the world. Uh, He's a righteous man, we're told. so. I guess he looked around. He saw that there were things which he hated in the world, which he knew deserved judgment. And yet to hear these words from God must have been a shock. I'm going to put an end to all people, verse 13, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. That message of comprehensive, thorough, complete destruction, would have been hard to hear. It's there in verse 13, it comes again in verse 17, a bit further on, this time with even more detail. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. God tells him his verdict on humanity and then this terrifying decision. It would have been hard to hear if you're with us last week, you, you will know that it's hard to hear if you sat through it last week. I know that it's hard to, uh, to speak about, it's hard to believe. Perhaps Noah would have thought, you know, this, nothing like this ever happens. This is so off, outside my frame of reference, my normal experience of life. I just can't believe it or accept it. Well, here we begin to see how Noah is a model for people today. Firstly, of how to listen to hard things that God has to say. Because even though we live after the flood, in a world that has changed in so many ways, God today has uncomfortable things to say to our world. The gospel message, the Christian message, has some uncomfortable truths for our world today. So Paul, the apostle, writes to Christians in Rome that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness Of men. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? It's just what we've seen in Genesis 6 God looking down at the earth and seeing wickedness. And then the New Testament repeatedly speaks of a day when the curtain will come down on all history, when God will judge every man and every woman for the things that they have done, full of warnings to be ready for that day. The Christian message has tough news, which is hard to hear and hard to believe. It's so far outside our frame of reference, so different to our normal experience of life. We think this surely couldn't happen. And so we have much in common with Noah. The question is how do we respond? I think the fashionable response these days is to say, even for those who believe in God, we'll we'll often say things like, well, my God would never say that or do that, or I don't like to think of God that way. It's so old-fashioned, it's so negative. If God is a God of love, he wouldn't do this. But if Noah is commended to us as a great man of faith, what should we learn from him? Well, that verse from Hebrews, again, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark. When Noah is warned by God, he believes him. There's reverent fear in his response But Noah isn't just told hard things about the world, did you notice? He's also told hard things about what he has to do. I wonder if you felt that as the passage was being read. Those lengthy instructions. Noah must have been feeling pretty down about what he's just heard in verse 13. Of the worst news ever. To then hear those instructions from verse 14 onwards. Make yourself an ark. Of cypress wood, make rooms in it, coated with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits. That is 150 yards long, 50 cubits wide, 25 yards wide, 15 yards high. And then all, the instructions go on and on. It must have been hard enough to hear that judgment was coming, to then hear that your own survival depends on you doing this, this level of commitment and investment. We don't know whether Noah was a carpenter, but even if he was, best case scenario, this is a massive task. I don't know if you've had an experience like that at work recently where your boss calls you into his office and says, I've I've got something I need you to do. And as as it's explained to you, you can see the next days and weeks and months of your life disappearing uh, because this job is so going to take over. Noah is staring at a task. That is going to become his life's work. It's going to take decades. It will absorb everything he has. In terms of money and resources and time and energy. God has hard words for Noah to hear. Both about the world but also about his own salvation. And yet again here is Noah as an example for us today. Because in the Christian gospel Jesus calls for Huge commitment. Do you remember those hard-hitting words in Mark's Gospel? Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. How does Jesus describe the Christian life? Not as an accessory or an optional extra but as the very core, as your life's work, something which will absorb everything you have, your time, your money, your energy, your resources. It's not easy to be a Christian in that sense. It it is a commitment, and it could be something that involves years of your life, decades even. So the gospel has hard things to say about salvation as well. So then as we watch Noah, we think, well, what does the man of faith do When he hears these hard things from God. Well secondly Noah believes God. And he does what he has to do. Noah believes God. And does what he has to do. That's the point in that verse from Hebrews isn't it? By faith Noah being warned by God. Concerning events as yet unseen. In reverent fear constructed an ark. It sounds simple enough there. Just a few words. Constructed an ark. But. We know what a massive statement that is, what a life-absorbing thing that was to do. And that's the point that Genesis wants us to notice as well. Three times here, did you notice, we're told of Noah's obedience. As we get to the end of those intimidating instructions in verse 21, we get that amazing summary of verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And then again in chapter 7 verse 5, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Twice more in chapter 7, that phrase, just as God had commanded Noah. Here's why Noah is an example of faith. He doesn't just hear stuff. He, he doesn't just agree with it intellectually. or He doesn't say, oh God, that's interesting. Or even, God, that's not how I like to think of you, uh, but thanks for telling me. No, he acts as though these things that God has told him about will really happen. And so he does what he has to do. Faith certainly doesn't look like much of a cop-out here, doesn't it, does it, as we look at Noah? Nor is it a great excuse to evade the need to think. Rather, it is hearing what God says and taking it seriously. Seriously enough that it would change your life. People often speculate about what life would have been like for Noah over the next 30, 40, 50 years patiently building his ark, cutting down hundreds of cypress trees, working away in a hot, dry climate miles from the sea. It wouldn't just have cost him energy and resources, but his street cred must have taken a battering, don't you think? You're crazy now, what are you doing? You're the laughing stock of a town, you're wasting your life. Where is this rain you keep talking about? If only it would rain. Isn't it time you gave up on that fairy story and enjoyed life a little bit? Maybe celebrity atheists of his day wrote books called The Flood Delusion or something like that. And this went on a long time, decades. Plenty of opportunities for him to lose heart and give up and grow weary. And I wonder whether in those hard moments Noah would have sat himself down and reminded himself, God has said this will happen. God has said this will happen. And so it surely will. And that is faith. His faith is visibly real because he plows on. And to have faith today as a Christian is similar in many ways. God has said that in the future judgment is coming. And he said that the only way now to get ready for that, the only way to be safe is to take refuge, not in an ark this time, but in his son, Jesus Christ. There is less carpentry and manual labor involved for us, for which I am very grateful. But I guess many here today will know that that is a costly decision as well. And it can be costly in terms of your time and energy and resources. Perhaps in terms of career progression. Perhaps in terms of your street cred, which takes the battering. Uh, unaware how difficult it must be to to stand for the christian faith in a place like this for those in public service the watching world will think you're crazy you're wasting your life you're the laughing stock of parliament perhaps where is this judgment you keep talking about and it may go on a long time years and decades so the question is how is that how is faith like this possible and sustainable If you're someone here today who'd say you're not a Christian, maybe it just all sounds a bit daunting at this point. And if you are a Christian, maybe you know that sense of fatigue and weariness that can come over the the years. Well, the key in this passage, I think, is those glorious words of verse 18. How is this faith possible? Because it is God who says, but I will establish my covenant with you. That big Bible word covenant that means a kind of contract, a guarantee, a a promise. And here in Genesis six it's wonderfully unilateral, isn't it? It's wonderfully one-sided. It is God taking the the initiative. I will set up this covenant between me and you. Um, People often romanticize about the Halcyon days in the city of London when a man's word was his bond. When contracts could be short, small print was unnecessary because you could trust people to keep their word. Now who knows if that's true or just a rose-tinted view of history. But when it comes to God and his promises, here is a word, here is the voice that has just spoken creation into existence a few chapters earlier. The powerful, righteous, unwavering voice of God. When this voice makes promises, they are as solid as the ground beneath our feet. Quite literally. Noah Noah has the promise of God. That is the foundation for his faith. The thing which feeds his faith. Not, as Dawkins says, faith in the absence of evidence. But faith built on the most solid foundation you can find. The promise of God. And that is true for the Christian today. Yes, it may feel hard and costly. It may seem unsustainable at times to keep going in the Christian faith. Until we remember the foundation for our faith, which is the promise of God. The effectiveness or the, the value of my faith um, it doesn't depend on my ability or my strength to keep trusting in something, but in the reliability of of the thing in which I trust. So can we trust the promises of God? At the Last Supper with his disciples, Jesus said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, a new contract, a new agreement, a promise that he's setting up with us. A promise from him that says, if you would turn and trust in me, I commit to keeping you safe through judgment. I commit to bringing you into relationship with God. I commit to sharing eternal life with you. And I'm so committed to this promise, he says, that I will give my life, I will shed my blood to guarantee it. And then I will rise from the grave to show you, to demonstrate that I have the power to do these things. The response that the Bible calls for today is that same response that we see in Noah. It is to take God at his word. uh, To be Noah-like in that sense, to hear the hard things, to hear the promises, and to act on them. To continue to do so. And so then to enjoy the wonderful confidence and assurance about our own salvation. Shall I close with a short prayer for God to help us to do that? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the reliability of your word, the power of your voice that spoke things into, into being. We thank you that you do make these amazing promises to us who live in a world full of wickedness, that if we return and trust in your Son, you promise to keep us safe and share all your blessings with us. Help us to keep trusting in those uh, powerful words we pray especially when it feels hard and unsustainable in our, in our day-to-day lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.